1: Here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to a fine time for healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine, and I have a great show for you today. We're gonna to learn a lot and what we may even discover as I am um, discovering myself, that you have done this, but you may not even be aware. so, That's really exciting, so hold on, we're gonna talk about it. Um, Today's special guest, Lori Eve Detcher, is here to talk about the book she co-authored with her husband, Benjamin Fox, The Alchemy of Inner Work, a guide for turning illness and suffering into true healing and well-being. Drawing on traditional Chinese medicine, Eastern and Western alchemical traditions Kabbalah and Jungian psychology, Jungian psychology, I always say that wrong, plus case studies from working with patients, the authors provide hands on insights for bringing the soul of medicine back into our lives. Alchemical healing is based on the belief that there is a vital force that directs you towards your own growth and fulfillment. This force, force is innate, driving high grade energy as potent as the physical instincts of survival and reproduction. When this vital force is blocked, ignored, or repressed, illness arises. The goal is not to get you back to your old self again, but rather for you to discover what you need to change in order to achieve optimal health and a richer, more meaningful life. Lori Chet- Detcher holds a master's degree in active acupuncture from the traditional acupuncture institute and training in archetypal psychology, gestalt, and focusing-oriented psychotherapy. She was a member of the faculty of the Tri-State College of Acupuncture in New York City and leads workshops and trainings nationwide. With her husband, Benjamin Fox, she co-founded New Possibility, a global healing and learning community, and she is here to share with us all of this. Good morning, Lori, and welcome. Thank you, Randy.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for
1: what you're doing in the world. Oh. You're welcome. You know, it's it's always good to hear that. It really is because sometimes you do work and you're just not sure what's going on out there. You know, you put it out there and You know you're doing it for the right reasons, but you don't always know who's receiving it. So thank you for that acknowledgement. I really appreciate that. And thank you for your –
0: I always sit there and listen to all that information about myself, and I
1: say, (laughs) oh, that's me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, it's wonderful. Mm. It is wonderful. Mm. So your book, The Alchemy of Inner Work, A Guide for Turning Illness and Suffering into True Health and Well-Being. Okay, so let's, we're going to dive into this pretty deep, but in general, what is the alchemy of inner work?
0: So um, when we wrote the book, of course, it took out, it's always, as you know, a little bit of a challenge to get the title. But we really wanted to include alchemy in the title because both my husband and I um, feel that, alchemy as a a way of looking at our lives has sort of fallen by the wayside. Most of us in high school may learn a little bit about alchemy as well, they were these sort of silly people who thought they could change lead into gold and it was really failed chemistry and until modern science came along, human beings really didn't know what they were up to. And that just isn't true. Alchemy was really the way that human beings studied, understood their world between what we would say shamanism, you know, tribal, indigenous, cultural medicine, and modern medicine. So there were hundreds and hundreds, some people even say thousands of years, when alchemy, what we call alchemy, was the way that people looked at their outer world, but also their inner world particularly how change happens how change which in modern science usually ends up in a system running down or a person okay i've lived my life and now i die what we call entropy entropy this law of that matter systems human beings kind of degrade over time but alchemists when they say lead to gold they were saying how do we actually grow and increase and become more shiny how do we and you know end our lives with this feeling of like i have actually contributed i have lived the life i was meant to live and the secret of course for the alchemists was this, this idea that inside of each of us there's a spark of something divine that, as you read in the intro, guides us, actually can guide us to becoming who we're meant to be. So for all those reasons, it was really important to me to bring alchemy back out of the shadows and look at what they understood and bring that into the healing process. Inner work, the reason we call it the alchemy of inner work, is that this process requires an engagement. And I think, and I, as I said, I've looked at your books and your work, and I, you are someone who clearly understands that positive change requires engagement. It, re- it doesn't just happen. So that was why we finally settled on this title, the alchemy of doing this kind of work on ourselves that results in, as you, again, I, as you can see, I was really looking at your work, as you say, miracles happen yeah anything is possible but it requires certain kinds of reversals or changes in how i'm looking at things they these are all the secrets that the alchemists were exploring and that we explore benjamin and i in our work in our community and in our teaching mm.
1: amazing thank you for <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing that with us You came upon this after having a difficult time in your midlife. You were having challenges of many, many types. Do you want to share what you went through? Yes.
0: I'm very, you know, open about my own process, and I think it's important to, you know, all the great things that you read about in my bio you know, what really defines me to me is is that I was able to transform, you know, what I would call my lead into gold and that my commitment in life is to really support other people in doing that. So, as you said, in my midlife, I, um, I had a wonderful daughter who's the delight of my life and now I have a granddaughter, but at the time, um, my doctor husband and I were really running into difficulties. Um, my daughter was, uh, at that started when she was about five years old. And it's interesting that so much of your work uh, revolved around narcissism. I I love my ex-husband now. I We've forgiven each other and we have a good relationship. But at that time, I really, he was so enraged at my need to move on in my life that all those worst qualities of narcissism really came out. And I felt um, my needs, you know, who I was, where I was going in my life, everything was uh, attacked, and undermined. And I had a young child who was going through, of course, what, what all children go through during the divorce. I was going into early menopause from stress. If you want to put the icing on the cake, that <laughs> was it. <laughs> you know, so on top of everything else, I was probably losing my mind. Right.
2: I'm sorry. To, much less um, tolerant know, to
0: at the Stress least. and hormones yeah. and no sleep and, Feeling so abandoned, so alone. Um, And it really was. um, It was the, I mean, I just had never experienced or expected to experience so much adversity. On top of that, you know, there were the financial pieces where, um, and I will just say out loud, although my husband at the time was a doctor. We, we did not have any good financial arrangements, so, sorry, I hope that didn't, those were my, um, so I was really put in the middle of like, what, how do I survive this, and I wasn't sure that I would, I, I did have my acupuncture degree, which was wonderful, but I was exhausted, I was completely unable to figure out how I was going to take care of a young child, make a living, find a way to find inner peace. And um, at that was, as I said, that was my moment of lead, you know, absolute hopelessness, uncertainty, um, really not knowing which way to turn. And so when I... Speak now about you know my belief that, that these moments of lead when we really really feel like we're facing the dark night, are also the doorways.
1: I could not agree more I could not agree more. It does light a fire under you. you, you know, yes. when you're down, there's only one place to go. And that's yeah. up. Yes. either you, and either I you love give it. up, right. Either you give up yeah. or you find a way to get through it. Yeah.
0: Yes. And I love the words that use, you light a fire, you know, and that fire, I think is what I'm, you know, mentioned earlier, that fire, the spark is this divine spark of Will or um, there's a kind of fancy Greek word called entelechy, which means we have within us our own wholeness. It's just like an acorn already has the oak tree. And it's, you know, we get the conditions we get. Randy, like you, you're, you wrote about your mother and your upbringing. You know, and I had the conditions that I had, which I do share more about in the book. We all have conditions, just like an acorn lands where it lands, right? You know. It may be a fertile field, it may there may be rocks, there may be a hillside, but we that's what we have to work with. But the spark, you know, that intelligible, that spark of fire that, that is there, that's the place I feel that the work Begins. It's a kind of reversal. At that, as you said, it's the deepest, most difficult moments. This is where we can find out who we really, truly are meant to be. But we can't do it alone. You know, that's that's what I discovered. And of course, mo- much of my work now in my life is supporting people in finding that spark, nourishing that spark doing practices that breathe life into that spark so that it can become, you know, an illumination or radiance.
1: There are so many people that need what you have to offer. And you have such a, um, it's just a wide variety of experiences that you can use. How do we fit alchemical Healing in... um, in Western medicine? How how does it fit with our society? Right. You know, I talk about that at
0: the beginning of the book because I want to make it clear that I am in no way negating the incredible miracles, you know, that Western medicine offers. You know, right now with, you know, what we're facing, it's a very real you know, pathological entity, a virus that we need to work with and, you know, Western medicine for surgery and for when you need them, antibiotics, there's so much, but as I said, I I would have these long walks and talked with a good, good friend of mine in Maine, um, really devoted family medicine doctor and we would talk and she actually has come to me. I'm not going to say her name, so, um. So she knows what I do. And she said, um, you know, what you do, it's not, you know, sometimes they say complementary, as if, you know, there's the alternative medicine or acupuncture or what I do would be in some way um, a secondary kind of choice. Complements um, Western medicine. She said, that's not what it does it's really a whole other arena that Western medicine, the circle of Western medicine is not meant to deal with. And she said, you know, I don't have time in my day to really look at the, the roots of people's behavior, like why they make the choices they make. You know, what is their real life purpose? What is their soul longing for? She said, but in a certain way, those questions are at the root of many of the common illnesses, you know, addiction, smoking, depression, um, food issues, so many things that we're facing right now that Western medicine kind of just says, well, let's throw a drug at it, or we don't really know what to do about all this. And that's where alchemical healing comes in. You could say, you know, shorthand, it's like we're looking at the soul. We're looking at these sufferings of the soul because we believe that without that, you know, we can't be truly healthy.
1: Right. That makes total sense. My son is a surgeon. And, you know, it's interesting because I raised him to be very holistic. I raised him with Chinese medicine. I raised him with diet, special diet, you know, um, vegetarian and that kind of thing diet and everything but as your friend said he doesn't have the time in his practice to be delving into people in that way but he serves that purpose
2: so right
1: he's called I on under- that's what she said it's expected
0: but but I it's just she said, given the structure of western medicine exactly. and I'm sure that he's your son I'm sure he's very compassionate and I'm sure his patients love him and there's more that he shouldn't you know that, that people as I say in the book you know we need the western medicine and then we need the support to process the experience to you know whether as my the patient I talk about at the beginning of the book a young boy I worked with who had a very abrupt and unexpected diagnosis of diabetes, which changed his whole life. And he wouldn't have survived without Western medicine, but the trauma for him, he was a kid who again, you know, holistic, never been sick, never went to the doctor and suddenly is in the hospital. And it was very traumatizing for him. So he needed the insulin, but he also needed, and he, he would say it to me, I, I you know, he used to say, you know, I need what we do here. They they need to know about this other part of
1: things. <laughs> he was a great teacher for me. <laughs> it's so true. I understand that. I learned a lot from the people that I coach. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What is uh, you talk about the divine couple? What do you mean? Uh-huh. Uh, this has something to do with um, Taoist philosophy.
0: Yes, yes. So that's a great mystery, kind of at the core of all alchemy, Taoism, but also if you look at, and again, as I said, alchemy spanned hundreds and hundreds of years, but it's also a way that people looked at the world in Europe, you know, many people do yoga. Yoga is an alchemical, at, at its core, yoga is an alchemical Healing tradition that's looking to upgrade our inner world so that we can. Um, in yoga, they say, you know, we we can actually serve the outer world. It's it's connected. So yoga, um, some of the mystical traditions of Christianity and Judaism, um, and again, as you say, Taoism, which is and it's an ancient, most ancient philosophy, religion of China. Many people know, have know that word, you know, are you in your Tao? And that comes from this tradition. So all of, all these alchemical traditions recognized the mystery of the divine couple. And we can know that divine couple in ourselves, but we also can know it in the world around us. So what is it? Begins with the idea that there's an original wholeness. You know, we are born with an original wholeness. A cosmos begins in an original wholeness. You know, the universe.
2: These
0: stories, even of our own story of Genesis, the world begins in a kind of chaos, and then from that original chaotic wholeness, there's a separation. And that separation is the beginning of a kind of consciousness. So we can, and the separation is that this chaos divides into, in Chinese they say yin and yang. You know, the the more receptive yin and the more active yang, and then we can say into the yin or feminine and the yang or masculine. So these great, Huge original energies of the mother, the father, you know, the the masculine, the feminine, the active, the receptive, and you know, through creation they separate. But it's the whole idea of life, and alchemy is that life is the is the result of the dance of their love affair. This love affair of the opposites of. Masculine and feminine, yin and yang. Um, There's hundreds of myths, you know, about this. But they're equal. So in alchemical traditions, the yin and the yang are equal partners in the dance. The masculine and the feminine, the patriarchy and the matriarchy, they're equal partners. And they need to be one without the other goes into a pathological state. So I think you can see where we're going with this. Right, absolutely. In our culture, there has Mm -hmm. been this primacy of the masculine, of the active, of the patriarchal, of, you could say, the fathers. And a kind of... um, Diminuation, a kind of pushing over to the side of those qualities that we think of as the feminine or the yin, the inward, you know, the feeling, the receptivity, um, all of those qualities of rest, of renewal, that you know, gestation. Culture has, does not um, recognize their their value, their necessity. And we have come to a pathological state. Which is what the alchemist said. It's like their their marriage is life. The divine marriage is those principles. It's life, is growth, is every transformation, everything you and I work towards with our the people we worked with. And their separation is pathology and death. So how does that look in in terms of us people, me, you, you know, in my period of lead that I talked about, um, you know, I I was really split off internally. I was in a state of kind of collapse and I had projected a lot of the qualities of potency, of ambition, of capability onto my husband, my ex-husband. And he was a great person to project it on. He was a doctor. He was capable. He was smart. And he also believed totally in himself as um, people with some more narcissism than I had at the time. I'll put it that way. And my work then, you know, was not to go out and look for someone else to do that for me as much as that was a temptation. Okay, let me find some other husband to take care of me. But that was not meant to be and it would not have been my Tao was rather to discover those qualities, my own inner partner This, those young qualities that could complement my own yin and through that discover an internal divine marriage which you know I was blessed to have a lot of support but I think if we're willing to look for it it is out there And, you know, that's an important part of our book for Benjamin and I both. Um, This idea that every person needs to, part of the inner work is discovering that inner lover who carries, you know, the opposite traits that are actually part of me that I I need to bring to life.
1: I love this. (laughs) It's great. In Chapter 3, The Connecting Link of Imagination and the Soul, you talk about the subtle body and yes. you say that people ask if it is the same as the soul and it is not. What is the subtle body? So
0: Randy, you're getting into some, some of my favorite conversations, but they're a little complicated because in the West, you know, Western language and our ideas, about soul and spirit and body are get a little complicated for me, you know my understanding of a lot of this comes through my study of Chinese medicine and the Chinese language, which you know they're a little more um, they, they they have a little more decisiveness about all of this. but what I would say is when we talk about the soul, we are talking about. A non-material, it can't be measured, um,
2: and it can't be put and or analyzed, and yes, this immaterial. Okay, you're fading.
1: You're fading. Uh, it really it's, it's hard to hear so you. You're fading. You're fading. Can you hear me? No. Can you hear me? Can you hear me?
2: point, or you look at um, the shopper system, and now all these different designs and templates that people use, and I can have to idea that they all work. Yes. With faith. you know, if you learn them and you work with them and you bring your attention to them, you can do alchemy, supernatural work with any of those systems. So that's when I got into this idea.
0: For gold or illuminations. So, We call textile. It's woven to to enclose the the light of the soul. So I think that's enough for about that today. If people get you know if that really delights you or gets your interest. Or
2: you wondered what's the difference between soul and spirit, subtle
1: body can you Roy, can you hear me okay can you hear me okay
0: yes I can I
1: get, I'll okay. for, a for, the last, for the last six minutes that you spoke about your soul we could not hear you and I was trying to get your attention you oh, faded dear. faded out so all that you said which is so valuable and I wanted you to share it we couldn't hear it it was so low
0: Gosh, Randy, I'm so sorry. Okay.
1: Um so briefly briefly. I'm losing you again, Lori. I'm you again. Yes Lori, I'm losing you again, Lori. Is there a reason why okay. you're fading in and out? Um
0: I think it I think I'm good now and I'm Sorry. You know, I thought I'm using ear pods and they may have just lost the connection, but I think we're good now. Okay,
1: good. I don't want to lose any more of what you have to say. Yes. Oh, that's the same. So briefly, because we won't have the time to go through all that and also cover other things. So briefly. Yeah. You know.
0: Be on the safe side of putting on my other headset, so that we good. Yeah. that'll be good. Okay. Yes, I was I was mulling over the best choice, and I think the headset's just a bit more reliable.
1: Okay, so where 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 should we go from here? Okay, what are you talk about? The keys. There are several of them. What do the keys represent?
0: in the book call them the keys that people that we want to give people to their own inner laboratory. That's the idea that these keys are ways that people can begin to open that door that we're talking about to their inner inner work. Um, and we try to make them really accessible and hands-on, and um, user-friendly. That's the idea of that chapter. You know, you get the the theory, but then how do I do this? And there's a number of keys in the book that people can use, but maybe we can just start with one right here. That sounds perfect. Let's do it. I mean, we start in the book with saying you know identify what we call your prima materia so we give some guidelines too because sometimes it feels like oh there's just so much to work with so we suggest finding one thing to begin with and we call that your your lead where do you want to start so um, it may be a pattern of addiction that you want to work with or a way that you are interacting for example for me during my difficult time it was a way that I was actually reacting to my husband you know taking it back from what he was doing which I had absolutely no control over to what could I do differently and of course in alchemy that is the first step they say the first Step is it's called reversing the light so instead of looking outside at you know the problems out there beginning with what can I do what can I do to change things so the, the, one of my favorite tools that I, I offer in the book is what I call the pause practice the pause practice is simply beginning to pay attention to what's going on inside of me and and caring about what's going on inside of me, not in a, as we could say, narcissistic way, not in a way of saying, you know, oh, you know, everything that I do is so important, but rather caring deeply about my own inner life. I sometimes call it the inner animal, and beginning to notice my habitual ways of reacting, and I say reacting as opposed to responding. So reacting are, as I said, habitual, they are you know not leading towards my growth. It keeps putting me back in the same old way of being. And in alchemy, we say, you know the way that we can begin a process of change is not through saying, oh, I'm going to stop doing that because the will isn't that strong. Can do. And what we call on and we say the first step in alchemy is beginning to reverse the light, noticing my habitual reactivity, and using the will to actually pause. Sometimes our con- that's all our conscious will can do. So the pause, instead of reacting, gives me a chance, that I say, for spirit to come in, for something other. So the pausing, taking three long, you know, slow breaths will actually begin to shift the nervous system. So that's a real physiological change. But in Chinese medicine, they say that, in Chinese philosophy, they say that pause actually makes a space for spirit, for the soul to have a little breathing room. And what you often will notice is that just in that brief pause, a response, a different response will arise. That is guided from some other part of ourselves that we might not have been able to hear if we hadn't taken that break. So the pause seems so, so easy and so simple. And yet I can guarantee that if you work with it, it begins to change things. It's the first step in the inner work that we're talking about in the book. And, um, you know, sometimes I joke about this and I think well, imagine if all the leaders of the world right now just began to institute the pause
1: practice. <laughs> just I taking so, that breath. Right. I still agree with you. And often, I think that many people have a problem with quiet space that they're not filling even when it comes, whether it comes to talking to other people, that pause, that quiet space in between, so many people think that they have to fill that. So I really like this concept of pausing and allowing the information to come in. I really, I really like that. You?
0: And it kind of brings us back to the, you know, divine marriage or the divine couple because the pause is the yin receptivity.
1: Mm, okay.
0: That, okay. you said, you know, we don't honor as a culture. Right.
1: Yes. That's absolutely. one of the keys. One of the keys. And there are many more, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a good one. Thank you for sharing that. Good. You, you talk about... Carl Jung, and uh, what is an, ar- an archetype? Ah, uh, you say that archetypes, archetypes yeah. are hints to riddles the conscious mind alone could never answer. So please explain what that means.
0: Right. So archetypes are one of the tools that we use in what we call alchemical healing. And, you know, what I say in the book and what I say when I teach is that anything that moves the qi and most people now know that word qi but it, you know, I think it's best translated from Chinese as life force or soul force you know, we're coming back to this subtle movement of life through me and you yourself have experienced acupuncture and you know when the needle in something shifts inside something moves You might feel a settling in your heart, um, you know, a calming, or if you're tired, a little more energy. But those changes are, you know, you can't measure them. They're something you are aware of through your soul, your subtle body. There's movement at the level of chi or life force. So what I say is that anything that moves the chi doesn't have to be a needle. It's anything that we move the chi with is a tool in alchemical healing. And archetypes are one of the tools that we use in our work. So what is an archetype? I, as I said, archetypes are, key, are, are answers to riddles the conscious mind could not discover. Uh, that's a little bit of a riddle in itself. An archetype is actually a universal symbol or a mythological image that you, we can find throughout space and time. In other words, it's already in our human um, makeup. Our, we arrive in this world with an awareness of these symbols or primal images. So I could read myth from China from 2,000 years ago about, um, say, a, a giant cracking an egg and forming the universe. And then I could go to Africa and read another creation myth and hear about some giant who also cracked an egg. Or we can come to our own story, you know, of, of the Easter symbols and look at, the beginning of the new year as the cracking egg, the chick appearing. So the egg as a symbol of wholeness is an archetype. It's an archetype. You might then dream about an egg. You might dream about an egg with a little crack in it. And then I would say, oh, something new is coming to life. And with that, if that were, you know, really what was going on, In your life, you know, there would be movement. Qi moves, the life force moves, and then I'm like, well, what is it? (laughs) Because that's our next question when it when something new is opening or cracking. So those are. um, That is one way to describe an archetype. Another way is another sort of quick way to get at it is um, if you are in, say down east maine where we spend half the the year and watch a robin making a robin's nest that robin's going to make a nest very similar i don't know if you have robins in south florida but as far south as they go well know, the i'm, I'm originally robins. i'm originally
1: from baltimore so we did we have okay. them there. Baltimore, wonderful i spent yeah. time there
0: so you know the robins yeah. there will make a, a nest just like my robins in maine but they don't go to the internet and download, like, the how-to book. The how-to book is in them. Gotcha. That net is an archetype for a Robin. So, you know, my granddaughter, she, you know, I'm already fulfilling the archetype of grandmother for her. It's, it's both me, but there's also, she comes into the world looking for that. You know, wise other who's not mommy and daddy so I can step into the grandmother archetype and hold that for her and it will become a part of her
1: does that that make sense quick yes you talk about archetype becoming identity and how we're born with the space in our soul for mother, father, sister, brother friend, healer, hero, mentor And we're already born to meet, ready to meet the people who will reflect these universal qualities back to us as personal, limited, embodied expressions of something divine. What if we don't have those archetypes? What if we can't fill those archetypes? Then what happens?
0: And, Randy, I mean, I think I'm really touched that you're pulling this out of the book because, as I said, I started your um, memoir, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful. But Thank I you. think one of the great woundings of having a narcissistic parent is that they cannot, they cannot allow themselves to be a reflection of what you need. Right. And instead demand that a child actually reflect or give that archetypal reflection of the self back to them. And it's a terrible, terrible abuse of the soul. Because, you know, a narcissistic parent just cannot handle channeling those archetypal energies for the benefit of the child, which of course is what our job as a parent is. It's to hold space, not to think I am the great mother, but to hold space for that mother energy to come through me for the benefit of my child and then allow my child to move on out into the world separate from me and become a mother herself, you know, and celebrate that. So it's, We don't have that. And I also do talk about that in the book, the process of healing that is very profound of actually healing the archetype within, or we could say bringing the archetype back to code. It's another way to put it that I like. So even if you have a parent, you know, and many of our parents, unfortunately, because of their own wounding or whatever cannot do that for us. We go into the world desperately longing and looking to 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 recover that in some way. And what I how I work with my patients is saying, No, you do have those traits and qualities implicit in you. What we need to do is bring them to life now. And so we'll begin by looking for and it can be it can be really fun like I'll say watch a movie and and find a character that really begins to bring to life that quality of the mother that you needed or the partner I did a lot of work with this in my lead to gold period where I was I felt like I don't have that outer lover the outer lover is another archetype and so I said, I have to find that. I have to bring that back to code within me. So many people don't know this movie anymore. It's old, the right stuff. It's about the earliest uh, jet fighter pilots. And Sam Shepard, who was one of my favorite actors of all time, was this jet fighter pilot. And he became, for me, temporarily, like the archetype of The lover bringing these qualities of activation, ambition, courage, kind of a wild freedom and, and the ability to fly. He would always say we're going to break the sound barrier, you know, break, go through the envelope. And that's what I needed at that time. So I was bringing that archetype back to code. And I think we all in some areas of our lives need to do that. And as we do it, it's like you feel your life force coming back to life. I used to watch that movie over and over and over and I would actually sometimes have conversations with him. (laughs) You know, kind of driving in the car and I'd say, Well, you know, what do you think about that?
1: And that's Really? I mean
0: sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would be then gradually it became a part of me. Because it really was, you know, I needed to access my aggression, my ambition, my excitement And that gradually happened. And, you know, I wrote my first book and started speaking and teaching and found my
1: dow. Is there any other way to do it? Can we fulfill that within ourselves? You mean, well, in a way, I did.
2: Well, you mean,
0: do we need those outer figures? Exactly.
1: You mean besides watching the movie and falling in right. love with the characters? Like how, <laughs> how, else, how else could we do that if dreams. we don't like to watch movies, dreams? Okay. Yes,
0: dreams. And as you know, there's a whole chapter in the book. So we're touching on everything lightly here. But this is, like you said at the very beginning, well, what is alchemical healing? And all of this is alchemical healing. All of these different ways to heal the soul. Oh,
2: okay.
0: And so working with our dreams, many people will say, and I actually talk about a woman who was happily married with a child with her own work, but she would consistently dream about this bad boy boyfriend from high school. I mean, she would say, I'm so frustrated. You know, I wake up, why am I dreaming about him? Why am I dreaming about him? And we worked with it. And he was bringing, he was an archetype that was bringing forward a need for her to be just a little less by the book in her life, a little more, you know, out on the edge of her life. Not to be, you know, become like this bad boy, wild guy coming on a motorcycle, you know, but but something about that energy that archetypal energy that we all can recognize, you know, um, to into her life, and it what ended up happening was she started running groups and being a little more courageous, a little more outspoken, and it actually enhanced her marriage for her to bring those qualities in. So dreams, um, reading, of course, I'm a big mythology reader, also. My husband, as you know, is an astrologer, so if people you know, have their astrology chart done, you will, the whole chart is filled with archetypes. That's what a chart really is, an astrology chart, is a map of archetypal energies and how they're playing out in our lives. Fascinating. Fascinating. It's it truly so is. fascinating. Really, I, mean, yeah, I can know. tell. I like, I love love what I get to do in this
1: life. Oh, I'm sure that you do. It is fabulous. What about what about <laughs> what about the wheel of life? And I I've actually heard about the wheel of life before, but I I don't know that I've ever really understood it. We have five elements: water, wood, fire, earth metal how does the wheel of life fit into this whole picture
0: so as i said you know there's many different systems out there you know alchemy band, and time you know we find it in ancient egypt with in the burial tombs in you know in greece with these stories of going down to the underworld we, it's it's all over, but the wheel of life that I describe in the book and the elements that you just named so perfectly um, is a Taoist alchemical cycle. It's showing the cycles of transformation, how life moves in the outer world, and I always I qualify that by saying in carbon-based life as we know it on our planet because there may be some planet in some distant star in the galaxies or the universe that doesn't follow the wheel of life as described by the Taoists, But on our planet and in our own internal processes, this movement from water to wood to fire to earth to metal can also describe as deep winter right now. I'm talking to you. The snow is accumulating on my window and it's cold and the seeds are under the earth and there's very little movement. But if we were to talk again in two months, we'd have moved from water to the element of wood or spring, which is this upsurging movement. And then to fire summer, which is a blossoming And then to earth, late summer, where, you know, the the flowers become fruit and vegetables and then back down to the seed and back to the underworld and winter. So that movement of, you know, yin, sort of contraction, gestation to more yang, sprouting to more young blossoming and then back down again to this delivery of the fruit, the heaviness and weightedness back down to earth. is like the inhalation and the exhalation of life. And that is, and it's in us. If we study that cycle, you'll see that it applies to, our our development through our lives, a project, for example, a love affair, um, you know, the world around us. And so I use that cycle to really identify where I may be stuck and where I need support. I use it in the treatment room to see what a patient is asking for. And readers of the book can actually use it to say, here's where I am, need to work right now. Here's, you know, I'm in the gestation stage, but I can't seem to sprout. Or I'm in the blossoming stage, but I'm kind of stuck with opening, 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 but I can't get to the product. I can't finish the book. I can't finish the quilt that I'm making. You know, I'm just stuck in the building, building, building phase. So people can read and discover where they need to work, and then we offer acupuncture points, essential oils, flower essences, meditations, affirmations, to actually work at each phase of that journey.
1: And you do talk about spinning the wheel, water gestation, and how that relates to us, and each thing that you, each uh, cycle. You talk about in your book how it relates to us and what it's about. So we can read more about that in this book, this wonderful book, The Alchemy of Inner Work, The Guide for Turning Illness and Suffering into True Health and Well-Being. Lori, thank you so much for this work. It is fascinating. And you're right. I didn't realize that I've been doing this. And I'm (laughs) sure people who are listening are saying, oh, right, yeah, well, I've been doing that too. Just in different ways. We find our own way to do this work, right? Is that basically what it is? We navigate exactly. this in different ways. We transform our lead to gold
0: in so many different ways. But what matters is that, you know, we're doing this work. I feel like it's it's kind of what human beings are here to do. It's the invitation. You know, we come to the, why do we come here to be in a body? You know, and to think through everything we go through if not to have some kind of spiritual soul growth. Right.
1: I fully agree with that. Fully i had a agree.
0: feeling you would. when I, I started
1: your book I was like, We're gonna I think we see eye to eye here. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. Soul growth is soul growth is the yes. purpose. Why we come here. I believe that whenever we hit a hurdle in life, <clears throat> for every hurdle that we hit that we're so afraid to jump, that's what we came here to do. So yeah. when, when we recognize that we're stuck, that's a hurdle. We're meant to jump. Exactly. And so exactly. What, the more that you do, the more fearless you become when another one is before you. And that's how it's yes. been for me. And I think it's right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So much. And, and you know, and and each time we jump, I think we gain a little more courage. And even right. though it never stops being scary, I mean, every time I do an interview, every time I present, you know, it's like, Okay, okay, I'm gonna jump to jump,
1: but you know, I'll throw my heart first and just follow it right. after it. Right, exactly. You can't give in. Well, we are out of time, but thank you so much for presenting this to me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate this book. I think that everyone would benefit from reading this. They would find themselves in there somewhere and actually in a lot of places. So thanks to you and Benjamin for this wonderful work that you do. And I certainly appreciate you being such a wonderful guest today.
0: Thank you so much, Randy. And I'm actually really excited to have discovered you and your work. Really, you're doing amazing, necessary work in the world. And I'm oh, going to be you recommending so. your books, and I'm going to be reading it
1: myself. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, that is so appreciated. Is this, The timing of that is so perfect for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wonderful. All right, Lori. Well, have a wonderful All right. day. You A nice, too. crisp, you cool too. day in New York. Yeah. Okay, take and, care. And be blessed and be well. Thanks again, Absolutely. Amy. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show.
0: Visit randyfine.com, randifine.com, R A N D I F I N E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.